I think the biggest expectation is really just a willingness to learn and a willingness to communicate. Welcome back to another episode of the E-Lead Inclusive Podcast. I'm your host, Amir Williams, and today I am joined by an E-Lead favorite alumni. He's the lead of the Technical Architecture Group tag team at Halliburton and well-renowned senior design mentor, Mr. Aaron Pacheco. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Hey, Amir. I'm good. That was a great introduction. <laughs> of course. You, you definitely deserve it. So for, can you give us an introduction of yourself and maybe just cover some things I may have missed? Sure. So I'm actually part of the first graduating class. I think, you know, our, our name was the Mavericks. Um, I went ahead and I joined Halliburton right out of college. And I started out in the field as what's known as a um, MWD or measurement while drilling engineer. Um, you know, after some time doing that, I ended up moving into manufacturing where you know, I had a few different roles, but ultimately ended up in the tag team where I am today. So can we backtrack and talk about your experience in E-Lead? So let's just start with what made you want to join the major? Yeah, so when I joined uh, UTEP, right, when I started UTEP, there was no E-Lead. And I started off as a mechanical engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, mechanical engineering was kind of fun, but it was really repetitive. And I've never been somebody that can choose just one thing to do. So when Elite started, we had a little workshop uh, to kind of show us what the program would be like. And after going through that workshop and realizing that I could maybe explore a whole bunch of different things, uh, that's when I really, you know, realized that I wanted to try that. Nice. So what was maybe an aspect that you were excited to try out within Elite? The fact that I didn't have to limit myself to just being an engineer. Right. Mm-hmm. Elite was making me this promise that, yeah, we're going to teach you engineering. You're going to know the technical stuff. But on top of that, you can also go and explore other subjects, right, that may be touched by engineering. You know, things like music and how that relates um, or, you know, computer science specifically, which is what I ended up doing. Nice. That's super cool. What a risk it was to join Elite at its inception. I, I talked to Selena Ariola and she kind of had the same the same sentiment of joining at its inception i just think that's so crazy what a risk i i'm so glad that you guys you know like paved the way and were kind of not the guinea pigs but the guinea pigs in testing out how this major was because i think without you you and your success you know you guys are success stories so you really paint the um the future of what it would be like for future elite students to look up to and get to look forward to so that's super cool. No, I appreciate that. Of course. So can you tell me more about your time in the classes in Elite and what you learned and maybe one of your biggest takeaways? Yeah, so when I did the Elite courses, right, I guess it was the first go at it. So, um, you know, the, the curriculum was kind of there, but what was unique for us was that there was a lot of communication with you know, people like Dr. Gonzalez and all of the other professors and asking us, you know, what's working, what's not working, uh, what are you guys thinking? So engaging in that feedback was definitely something that was really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
also, right, the nature of those classes were really different. Um, I had the advantage of already having a year in college, right, as a mechanical engineer and getting to see that contrast. Um, and elite courses, you know, they were team-based, there was projects, um, it wasn't the standard structure that you would find, you know, in a, in a typical engineering course. So what was your senior design experience like? Did you do it with a bigger company or what was your project? Yeah, so for senior design, um, I was part of the Line 6 team. Uh, the mm-hmm. project was about an electric guitar. They... No. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. They have an electric guitar and there's a digital signal processor on board. And the problem is that when you have that, you all of a sudden need to power the guitar. So the challenge was, how do we do that in a natural way, right? Um, Is it a wireless charger? Do you plug the guitar in? That kind of thing. Um, That was a lot of fun, um, especially getting to see how a company actually goes through that design process and that validation, right, that this is the right product that they're designing um, Mm -hmm. every step of the way. So that was a lot of fun um, throughout the project. You know, we got to fly out to California to go see, you know, their headquarters and see all the products that they they were designing at the time. So that was, you know, quite the experience. That's super cool. Now that I think about it, I learned a bit about your project in, in P2P. And so when you talked about that validation, I think we used your project as an example of how to validate some of the features in a new product and So, wow, I didn't know that you worked on that. That's super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So then can you maybe um, tell me about the transition? So you told me right out of college you went to Halliburton. How was that for you? How was that transition? Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, I guess, subject, right? Um, Going from college, right, to doing kind of field work was a really jarring kind of experience. Um, I think I had an understanding of what I thought it was going to be. And then I actually got out there and it was slightly different. Um, you know, at, at first kind of going through it, um, it was good. It was fun. There was a lot of learning to do. Uh, but after, you know, a few months of doing it, I kind of began to realize that it wasn't really something that I was aiming for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being faced with that challenge right out of college and feeling like, you know, I'm supposed to be successful when I graduate and I'm supposed to be in a position that kind of fits me and that I'm going to stick with for at least a little bit, um, you know, made it kind of a challenge. Yeah, I, I can imagine like the, I wouldn't say necessarily that you failed, but the challenge of, I guess, almost starting over, right? And, you know, finding a new path out of what you may have thought was kind of set for you out of undergrad. Right, exactly. Because I felt like, you know, you work all of these four years to kind of form yourself to your first job. And and really, mm-hmm. right, that was, you know, not, not a fair assumption to make. Um, but I think I was just so excited to even have a job uh, right out of college that I thought, man, you know what, what's going on? Why, why am I feeling like that? Definitely. I, I you know, I, I can agree with that. I can see some of my peers and me thinking of, um, you know, we thinking that we would get our dream jobs right out of college, but maybe not even understanding what a how hard it is to just get a job out of college in general. So how important it is to just maybe just get your foot in the door and then figure it out along the way. So then can you tell me about how you ended up transitioning and figuring out what you did want to do? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it wasn't an immediate thing, right? Once I started to realize that, you know, I was maybe questioning whether or not that was the position that I wanted to keep, 
um, I did a lot to kind of try to understand what was going on. Um, and in the process of doing that, there was a lot of self-reflection, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, helped me actually really, really grow. Um, back in those days, right, I was the night operator for a lot of the equipment. So not a lot was going on at nights and I had to be up anyway. So there was definitely a lot of time to think. Mm-hmm. Um, but my first step was really talking to myself and asking myself, what are my real expectations? Where is it that I really want to go from here? Um, and then from that, just kind of reaching out and talking to different people uh, within the company, right? Like my immediate supervisor at the time um, and around in my life to kind of see what their feedback would be. Um, once I took all that feedback in, I decided, you know, hey, maybe it is time for me to make a jump. Um, and that's when I went ahead and you know did the whole transition to manufacturing. So what was it about manufacturing that intrigued you? So my first position in manufacturing was in something known as continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. And it was something that was not all that engineering related and that it wasn't really technology related at all. It was just about making things better. And I thought, well, the skills that I learned in E-Lead right in my college career maybe can really help set me up for this kind of thing, right? Maybe I can learn to validate if I'm making things better and learn you know, new tools and processes to do that. Definitely. I think... One of the things that we talk a lot about is what even is real engineering, right? And I think at the heart of it is just solving problems. And so, and the approach to which you solve problems. And I think Ely does set you up to understand how to solve problems using the like design thinking and things like that. So definitely, I think that that really does correlate to some of the skills you did learn in Ely, hopefully. Definitely. That whole thinking part, right? You're, you're absolutely right. There is no such thing as real engineering. Engineering is something that you do, not something that you are. And mm-hmm. that's what that position also kind of taught me. So then can you tell me now about what you're doing now? Sure. So as the lead for the technical architecture group, I have, you know, about five or six people that kind of sit underneath me. Um, before, uh, what manufacturing used to do is they there's different departments, right, that we service, different mm-hmm. product service lines, and each one of those can have different things that are being produced, right? So you may have, you know, the production enhancement guys that are building trucks, and you may have Sperry that's building, you know, electronic equipment that goes down hole. So it's, it's very varied. And what we used to do is each one of those departments had their own technical staff. So they had their own database administrators, they had their own uh, programmers, developers, that kind of thing. And we began to realize that there were parallel efforts a lot of the time, mm-hmm. or that there were, you know, um, also inconsistencies in some of the ways that, you know, we would do certain things. So one PSL will be doing, you know, things to one standard and another to another. So we began to think about centralizing all of that technical staff into one group. And mm-hmm. we ended up doing that finally about a year ago. And nice. so that, yeah, yeah, that was that was a really big challenge to kind of get everybody lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what the technical architecture group is, right? We are responsible for all the manufacturing systems, uh, providing support to integrations with systems like SAP, um, as well as dealing with NC equipment, um, IIoT devices that may be part of the production process, uh, maybe even robotics, that kind of thing. Yeah. So then can you talk to me about 
your leadership and your leadership style? Because you mentioned that it was um, a struggle to get everybody kind of on the same page, right? So can you tell me about how you may have approached it um, from a leadership standpoint? Yeah, so that was my first introduction to leadership in the corporate world, right? Um, mm-hmm. Up until that point, I had been an individual contributor. And so uh, the team was mostly comprised of developers and database administrators and technical staff that had been at Halliburton for already quite a long time. So all of them had already developed the process that they felt was the right process. Um, so the first thing that I kind of took the time to do was ask each and every one of them what that process was and what they felt made it the right process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you started with getting an understanding. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, trying to get you know an understanding of what everybody was doing, why they were doing it, mm-hmm. and then trying to bring them all together to have discussions on whether or not it was actually the best thing to do and trying mm-hmm. to learn from each other. And luckily, everybody was super open to kind of doing that exercise. And after having some discussion and realizing that we could learn from each other, we all started to kind of naturally line up on a path. So making sure there are open channels for that kind of communication was was a big step in that process. Yeah, definitely. It, it's interesting that you say um, it was the first time you experienced leadership in the corporate world. So I, I wonder, did you ever kind of view yourself as a leader? Not while not necessarily having the title, but in the work you did before? Um, I I think so. I think it depends on how we define that word, right? Leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that one of the leadership models is that you can be a leader, even within an individual contributor role, Uh, especially Mm -hmm. when, yeah, especially when you're in a technical setting, right? Uh, For example, we have product owners that are in an individual um, contributor role, but they have leadership over the product that they are overlooking. So from that standpoint, yes, you know, I had leadership over some of the code that I've written, over some of the systems that I had designed, but not over other people. So now I think that transitions you into leadership in the sense of mentorship, right? And so how long have you been a senior design mentor with Halliburton? I think it's been about three years. Nice. So what... How did you decide to go about that? It was really at the request of, of you know, Dr. Gonzalez that I started that process. You know, I think uh, the staff kind of thought that it was a good idea if we had graduated E-Lead um, students, right, be mentors. And I thought mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting as well. Um, I wanted to do it because I wanted to kind of understand and see how those groups of, of you know, seniors, how their experience would differ from mine. So the first team that I interacted with, I didn't really have that much of a structured approach. So I let them kind of guide me on on what they needed. And I learned a lot from them uh, in that mm-hmm. process. And, you know, all of that learning was something that I tried to implement in all the teams that, that came after that. Um, but it's really been about listening to to the individuals in the team and trying to, you know, see where you can help the most. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes that's outside even of the project right sometimes it's just asking them how's your day going or you know how are you feeling you're about to graduate is everything okay I think you give such a a great perspective to mentorship in Ely because I'm gonna tell you you're the first mentor we've ever had on so we're we don't really necessarily know the behind the scenes of what a mentor is thinking when they're 
trying to coach us through developing the project. So how do you know if a team has been successful or a project has been successful? What are your metrics for success as a mentor? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the fir- the biggest thing that comes to my mind, right, is, is the team learning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the very first, you know, can they demonstrate that they've learned something from where we started? Now, once we start to dive into that and we say, yes, they've learned, right, we can begin to assess success on a number of different um, levels, right? The first one is, okay, well, at the beginning of the project, we probably set some metrics or some standards that we needed to meet. Did we meet those? If not, mm-hmm. what are we going to do in order to kind of, um, you know, change course or do what's necessary? Definitely. So one of the things that I think Elite is special in is the sense that you, so we have different concentrations, but your senior design project may not necessarily be in the concentration that you have been studying. So that means there's a whole another level of learning within senior design. So what are you expecting from students that come in and, and they may not necessarily have the background in industrial engineering or computer science, but they're in the senior design team. What are you expecting from them? Yeah, I think the biggest expectation is really just a willingness to learn and a willingness to communicate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay if, you know, because that, that's actually what's going to happen, right? When you graduate from college, you think you know everything, and then you start your position. And, and I found this out myself. Right. I thought I knew computer science. I thought I knew how to program and all that, but I started work and it's completely different or they have their own standards, which I wasn't familiar with. So it's okay to not know anything as long as you're kind of open to receiving that information, growing and then communicating with with a mentor and letting them know, hey, here's where I need some additional help. Yeah. And so is that does that translate also in industry where you're working? So. I know that sometimes undergrads can feel like they're not necessarily 100% equipped to do the work that they've been assigned to do. Has that been your experience in at Halliburton in being able to ask for help and be honest about what you know and don't know? That's definitely been my experience, yes. I've, I've been really lucky in that all the individuals that I've gotten you know, to work with have been very open to that. And, you know, they, mm-hmm. they kind of take the time to talk to me and explain how things are done and, and why they're done that way, um, which is also kind of key there. But what's been your toughest time as a mentor and how did you work through it? Yeah, I think my toughest time as a mentor is when I'm trying to, you know, communicate something or trying to lead the team down a certain, you know, train of thought without explicitly saying, hey, guys, think about this. And mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite get through, right? Because you just know, you know, like, you just know it's you, you just know it's like, man, I if I had the better tools to kind of communicate all this stuff, it would be easier for, for the team to kind of see what I'm leading them towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so just that, you know, when not being sometimes equipped to to express quite what I'm trying to Uh, and to help them in the way that I'm trying to help them. Yeah. So I have a question. Just for the people going through senior design now, are you guys not allowed to explicitly give us answers? Or do you, and like you said, or do you, are you told or instructed to guide us to the answers without giving them to us? What's that like? 
yeah, I don't think there's like a standard. Like nobody tells us don't give the student answers. I think it's mm-hmm. it's it's different for every team, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, what we try to do is when when we start off, right, and the students are kind of trying to find their bearings, we will maybe ask some questions and then wait for the students to kind of give us answers. And if they're not quite where they need to be, then we'll give them the answer, right? And then we'll continue that process until we reach a point where we think, okay, yeah, it's time for the students to kind of begin doing some more independent thinking. And then we kind of let go of the hand a little bit. Uh, So Yeah. yeah, it becomes less frequent that we tell students what to do. And we just give them feedback on what their plans are and what they're going to do. Interesting. I, I, I've just always wondered that. What's next for you? Yeah, so, you know, I, as far as professionally, um, you know, one of the things that I discovered about myself is every time my boss or, you know, or somebody would ask me, what's your five-year plan? It was never mm-hmm. about climbing ladders. It was really more about endeavors. Uh, mm-hmm. or things that I wanted to build. So right now I'm really kind of involved in helping transform Halliburton systems to be more modern and more cloud-based, right? To kind of help the business, right? Be more efficient. Um, one of the new frontiers that we're really getting into is how we use artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. Everything, you know, from vision models to the open AI service that Microsoft has. Um, so I see a new frontier in kind of exploring that, maybe diving more into how we use our data what we use it for, the processes that uh, it goes through in order to deliver value and optimizing some of that. Definitely. And with AI being kind of, I feel like it's been talked about, but now to finally actually be implemented into the public so easily accessible, are there new things that you've had to learn or new skills you've had to acquire to be able to um, tackle those endeavors? Definitely a lot of new skills, right? So you know, I came from a traditional, I guess, programming background. So when you write a program, the program does exactly what you expect it to do. When you're dealing with some of these like new AI systems, right, it becomes less about the programming because that's that side is actually rather simple. It's really mm-hmm. about how you interact with these models. So, you know, for example, ChatGPT, we're, we're doing some work with that and, um, you know, just learning to prompt it. Learning mm-hmm. that, you know, the language that you use is really important. Um, learning that skill, right? How, to, how do you ask this thing uh, a question in order to get it to do what you're thinking? That's yeah. been a really big challenge. Yeah, it, it, it takes me back to, so one of my favorite podcasts is called Diary of a CEO. And there's this one episode with, his name is Mo Gadot, I believe. And he wrote a book called Scary Smart, where he talks about kind of the implications of AI. But one of the things he says about AI is that we are almost the parents of AI and AI is a baby. So it's we have the duty and the responsibility to essentially raise it and to kind of raise it to be something ethical and something responsible rather than kind of something that could completely destroy the world. So when you when you talk about learning how to ask a questions, I think about how we have to nurture it and how the while AI is intelligent, it still needs that human interaction. I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of ethics involved in it. Um, and that's, you know, you know, you asked about additional skills or additional things that you have to consider beyond the technical. Uh, that's a big one that we're kind of wrestling with, right? Because some of these systems are going to do things that have consequence. 
And so mm-hmm. how do you reconcile if, if something is incorrect? You know, who takes responsibility for that? That's all things that we're exploring. Yeah, I, I, I'll go even back to pop culture again. And like, if AI makes art, who who's the artist? Is it the AI or is it the programmer? Right, exactly. So just to wrap up, what are some things that you would like E-Lead students and undergraduate students to know from you and your experience? Maybe a piece of wisdom you can give them. I think the biggest piece of wisdom that I could provide is, you know, just to reiterate that people change and that's okay. You know, I've, I've changed my mind a lot. You know, from mm-hmm. starting college, going through elite, and then in my professional life, you know, I felt differently because I learned and I developed, and and that was fine. So, biggest thing for me is don't don't constrain yourself to ideas that you thought you had or misconceptions. Always kind of continue to evaluate yourself and and see where you're headed is you know is actually where where you'd like to head. Your current you would like to head. That that's such good advice, and that's actually such a unique piece of advice. I ask this question all the time at the end of every single episode, and that's such a unique piece because sometimes I think, I guess it's kind of like pivoting, right? And sometimes when you hit a hindrance and you pivot, it could feel like you failed. And I think in life as an undergraduate student, when you realize that maybe what you thought you wanted to do at 17 when you declared your major isn't necessarily aligned with what you want to do now, that can cause a lot of internal turmoil. So I I think that's such a great piece of advice that I think more more students need to hear. Definitely. Sometimes pivoting can just be growth. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Aaron. That's all I have for you. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, I just wanted to tell you that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Um, That was very professionally done. Really, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed this conversation. You gave such a unique perspective and insight that I appreciate and I think our listeners will appreciate as well.